This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. I'm happy to say that this is our first ever bonus episode of Zealous. During bonus episodes, I'll sit down with non-GRGV folk and talk about how they interact with the legal world. Today I'm speaking with Michaela Pockner. Michaela is a legal reporter at the Wisconsin Law Journal, a daily news website and monthly magazine featuring stories about Wisconsin's legal community. Michaela covers current Wisconsin court cases, issues affecting the legal system, law practice management, and news about attorneys and law firms. Michaela's been working in the journalism, marketing, and public relations field for nearly 10 years, sharing stories about Wisconsin people and businesses as a TV news producer, brand manager, writer, and reporter. She's also a volunteer leader with the United Way of Northern Ozaki, where she manages marketing, event planning, and other initiatives. Wisconsin Law Journal is a key resource, not only for attorneys, but all citizens in the state. Today, Michaela and I are discussing different resources that can aid non-attorneys in learning about current legal matters. Sometimes it can feel like legal speak is a completely different language, but there are many options for non-attorneys to break down the language barrier and engage in legal affairs. I'll start just by saying thank you for joining us today. It's exciting to have a non-GRGV person uh, be on the podcast because you're the first one. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm we're honored to be part of this. Yeah, it's great. So you're at the Wisconsin Law Journal, and you're a legal reporter there. Can you talk about what it means to be a legal reporter? Sure. So my duties there, first of all, I'll start by saying you do not have to be a lawyer to be a legal reporter, at least at the Wisconsin Law Journal. So I actually have a background in communication and journalism. So what that means for me as a legal reporter is I'm monitoring what's going on in the courts in terms of cases, uh, people who are nominated to the courts. Um, another part of my job is because the law journal is for lawyers primarily as an audience, um, I'm monitoring trends in the legal field and how that might apply to our lawyers here in Wisconsin. So for example, in our March edition of the magazine, I did an article on the ethics of replying to online reviews because as lawyers, as I'm sure you know, you have a specific set of rules that you have to adhere by. So when you get a bad review or somebody who's a lawyer gets a bad review, you can't reply in the same way as somebody who delivers pizza can reply to that. So um, that's one part of it too, kind of talking about legal trends. Um, And then also I do a lot of things with what's going on with our attorneys here in Wisconsin, promotions, um, moving around, starting new firms, firms that might combine. And then another piece of that, which I kind of alluded to with the ethics is the state has the Office of Lawyer Regulation, which is responsible for, I guess, disciplinary actions. So if a lawyer does break some of those ethical rules, they're investigating and then releasing a complaint, which the Supreme Court then decides um, if they're going to 
dole out punishment. So I also report on those kinds of things, which are very interesting and do get us a lot of reads, but I mean, uh, I probably aren't the best look for the legal field. No, I understand completely. And I do think that with being a lawyer, obviously there's a lot of transparency and I think it's very important that there's transparency. So while it might not be great personally for the lawyer who may have found themselves in trouble, I think that it is important for the public to be aware. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of dovetails into, you mentioned Google reviews, and I want to jump ahead a little bit uh, in my outline. And is Google reviews something that a lot of people have come to you asking about? It's, I think lawyers have shifted in the past 10 years from word of mouth to Google. And I'm just wondering if you've seen anything like that. Um, I actually, it depends on what it is. Like once in a while, I'll have people who are members of the public email me saying like, oh, did you know this about this person? And like maybe send me a review or something like that. But I would say generally the questions that I get from the public are how can I find free legal help? And usually what I tell them is there's a couple of resources. Um, if it's someone who's incarcerated or is, in, is calling about a family member who's incarcerated. I usually direct them to the UW Law School's Remington Clinic um, because they have so many different clinical programs that help people out who are incarcerated. So I think that's a great first step for anyone who's looking for that sort of help. Um, I think a good resource for people who just generally need legal help for a variety of matters who um, I guess are at the beginning of their potential legal process is Wisconsin Free Legal Answers through the state bar, which is kind of a collection of resources. And then one I think that you, Bree, were going to talk about was the Milwaukee Justice Center. Yeah, yeah, Milwaukee Justice Center is something that is very near and dear to my heart. It is a free clinic where people can come in and just make sure that they're starting on the right foot. So filling out the right forms, making sure that they're taking the right steps to protect themselves. It's not something like a public defender that sticks with you through the whole case, but it is something that I think really aids people in making sure that they're not wasting their time going down the wrong rabbit holes. Yeah, that's so important, especially as, I mean, I can speak from the non-lawyer perspective. It is a very process-driven thing, and if you're not sure how the process works or exactly what steps are involved, it's it's pretty difficult. So having a resource like that that can even, even if they can't stick with you through the whole case, at least point you in the right direction and get you connected with people is really important. Definitely agree. I think that you hit it on the head when you said that it's so process driven, especially in civil matters. There's so many timelines you have to stick to. And there's just a lot of things that people would have no reason to know if they're not a lawyer. It's not common knowledge by any means. Right. Sticking with the non-lawyers learning information, I want to talk a little bit about different databases that are out there because I know that you're pretty fluent in these databases and a lot of people that aren't involved in the legal system, some don't even know that they exist. Yeah, and I think that they're 
these databases are such good resources for the general public that I hope more people start to use them. And I think one that's really important that I use almost on a daily basis is CCAP, which is the uh, state's program that tracks cases um, in the circuit courts, in the appellate court, and in the state Supreme Court. So what that looks like for me is I'm typically looking up what is somebody's case history or what is the status of this case? And then what you can do is you can go and search the person's name and then it's gonna, CCAP's going to bring up whatever um, cases are associated with them. So most people have probably heard of CCAP. Um, and if you're like me, you've searched for your extended family and friends on CCAP when you find out about it, just to see what's out there. And so it does give you that option to check for records in the county circuit courts, court of appeals and state Supreme Court. Um, you can search, like I said, you can search for people by first and last name. You can search for a business by its name and by the county. And then you can also do a specific case number search if you do have a case pending or are aware of a case pending that you're trying to track. And CCAP is pretty good about um, being able to find people, at least in my experience, whereas PACER, which I'll talk about in a bit, which is the federal database, it can be a little more clunky when it comes to searches. But for CCAP, and I will note that if you want to find it, it's CCAP, and then you would search that in Wisconsin and you should be able to access the database. And so let's say you're trying to find out if somebody has a case in circuit court. Once you run the search, that person's records will come up. You'll see a list of cases which they're involved with, when they were filed, where they were filed, and then you get a link that you can click that's the case number. So once you click that link, it's going to bring up the case details. You'll see what the case is about, what the charges are that this the case is um, involving, um, if what's happened in the case so far, and if there are any upcoming hearings. And then since the courts are doing so much virtually right now, some of them will even put a link in there to watch the upcoming hearings. Um, so that's super helpful. Otherwise, you're able to, at least what I've been doing, if the link is not there, is you can search the judge or their branch and see if the um, if they're broadcasting and then you can watch that live from their YouTube channel. So that's super helpful if you're interested in seeing these matters play out live. You mentioned that you can also search for businesses on CCAP and there's this idea in criminal cases called caveat emptor or buyer beware. And I think a lot of people could utilize this tool of looking up a business before you get involved or looking up a landlord before you rent. And I think that a lot of times that tool goes unused just because people don't know about it. Yeah, I would say it's so important, especially when you, you mentioned the people renting. And I remember doing that. I looked up one of the places I rented from in when I was living in Green Bay. And I saw like all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, what's going on with this company? And then I soon found out that when I went to move out, they like overcharged for everything with my security deposit. And I thought back to when I had seen that and like, this is just such a warning about what, 
what people are doing. And it is, like you said, it can be such a good indicator of how a business conducts themselves and what you might be in for. Yeah, it's, it's very true. On the total flip side, though, and part of this stems from my background in criminal law, it's really important that when you look up people that you don't assume that if it's a criminal case that they're guilty of anything unless that verdict has been reached either by a judge or a jury. And it will tell you that a verdict has been reached. Right, right. And I think another thing we should mention here is if you're an employer who's looking up a job applicant, there are some limits on what you can use the information that you find. Right. I think it's very important to point out that employers can't discriminate against applicants based on a case pending against them. And CCAP does a really good job of making that clear. I don't know if you have ever searched on other states' databases, but a lot of them aren't as clear as Wisconsin. A lot of them you can't even publicly access. You have to pay to get into. Um, But CCAP does a really good job of providing this information free to the public, but also informing the public of what exactly this information means. Mm -hmm. The fact that it is free is so important, but then also if you want to request records from the circuit court in particular, that's something you do have to pay for. And usually what you can do is just send an email um, with the case number and what document you're trying to request. And I believe it's $1.25 per page that you'll have to pay, but I mean, you pay the fee and they'll send you the record. So if for some reason you need to request a record that it's on there, you will have to pay for it. But CCAP, at least like you said, provides, you're able to see the information for free. Right. It's just the specific pleadings that cost a little bit of money. Yeah. Right. Right. Another thing that CCAP has done a very good job about is talking about whether or not proceedings are compliant with Marcy's law. And Marcy's law is something that is pretty brand new to Wisconsin. We're actually going to have a whole episode later talking about it and getting into details about it because it's confusing and there's a lot going on. But the very basics are in order to be compliant with Marcy's law, the alleged victim has to be told of the hearing and of what's going to happen at the hearing and have the opportunity to speak. CCAP does a really good job of pointing out, and when I say CCAP does a good job of it, I should say it's the clerks that are entering this information, do a really good job of pointing out whether or not different hearings are compliant with Marcy's law. And because it now is part of our constitution, it's an important factor that the public has the right to know. Mm-hmm. Let's transition a little bit and let's talk about, you mentioned PACER earlier, and that is the federal version of CCAP. And I totally agree with you that it's a little bit clunkier. How do you go navigating it as a non-attorney? I would say, so when I'm using PACER, I kind of, it's, I typically use it once per week. And what I do is I search the previous week Um, just to kind of see what's been going on in the federal courts um, and if there's any cases that may be of interest to our readers. So what I use is the advanced search. 
feature of PACER. So I'm able to narrow down by those dates and then narrow down by Wisconsin. And then what it does is it brings up a list of all the cases that have been filed between those dates in the Eastern and Western District in Wisconsin. But what you can do is use that same advanced search feature to search by somebody's name, similar to what you would do in CCAP. Though I have found when I, sometimes when I've tried to do that, it either doesn't want to find the person, even though like I know this case is there, I know this person has been involved in a case and it doesn't want to bring it up. So it does take a bit of uh, repeating the search. I would advise having patience if you're going to try it because another thing that happens is it likes to kick you out when you change pages. So definitely have some patience and I guess try and think of like, do I know the date when this was filed? Do, is there another way this name could have been spelled or broken up? Like maybe the, the business name isn't quite what I think it is. So can I try searching by the business owner or something like that? Because um, it is a little bit more difficult to navigate. Yeah. And I'm, I laugh because sometimes I can't even find my clients' cases on <laughs> Pacer. And I looked at it yesterday and now Pacer doesn't want to bring it up today. And it's yeah. just, it, it can be frustrating, but overall, in comparison to other search engines, I do think that it's really helpful and pages are only 10 cents a page on Pacer, which is yes. really nice. Yeah, for sure. And I think that you get a $30 per quarter credit um, as, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know what it is for like for a lawyer, but for um, just a, a general user, you get a $30 per quarter credit. If you're under that, you don't have to pay for anything. So that's nice too. Yeah, it's definitely nice. And I think kind of the overall theme of these databases, both PACER and CCAP, is transparency with the public. And Wisconsin residents have a level of transparency that not a lot of other states are afforded. Let's switch to some other things that you come across besides just databases. Obviously, you always have your hand on the beat of what's happening in the legal world. I want to know if there's anything or tips and tricks or anything helpful for the public of what's going on right now in the legal system and what you think it's important for a non-lawyer to know? I think what's really important to know, especially right now, it's uh, late March. We have the spring election coming up on April 6th. So I think it's really important that people are aware of the judicial races that are on the ballot. Um, we have two courts of appeals races in District 2 and District 3. Um, District 2 encompasses Eastern Wisconsin, except for Milwaukee County. District 3 is Northern Wisconsin. So we have two contested races there. Um, in District 3, it's two new candidates, um, Rick Spikas and Judge Greg Gill. Um, from, he's an out-of-Gamey County court judge. They're both running. And then in District 2, we have Judge Shelley Grogan, who's a city of Muskego judge, and Judge Jeff, Jeff Davis, who was appointed to be an appellate judge by Governor Evers in 2019. So he potentially is running to keep his seat. 
Um, I know these courts don't get as much attention as the Supreme Court and then the circuit courts that are handling really big cases. They often get tons of news coverage, but it is a really important stop in the legal process for people. And oftentimes because the state Supreme Court only takes a limited number of cases, often this is the last stop for cases. So I think it's important that people are aware that these are happening and that they vote because they are having the chance to shape these courts. And then in addition to that, there's 11 contested circuit court races on the ballot for April 6th in counties across the state. So I would really encourage everybody to get out and vote, uh, be it absentee or day of, but uh, you people really have a chance to shape what the courts are gonna look like for the next coming years. So take the opportunity to put your say in. I definitely agree. And I think along with that, it's important to point out that the ultimate dream is if everyone would do a little bit of research on these judges and their positions. And that's not just a dream for lawyers. I have a lot of non-attorney friends that, you know, will will just go out and, and cast a vote and not know too much about the issue. And then a judge might make a determination that's adverse to what they believe in, and they're confused by that. So I really try to get my friends as educated as possible on these issues because I think that it's not as simple as voting party lines. Mm -hmm. Legal issues are a lot more complex than that. And judges are can be very outspoken about certain things and you just don't have any awareness of that unless you take the time to look into it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think that since these positions are nonpartisan and then I mean, for the Court of the Appeals candidates, I specifically, I talked to the four of them for an article for the Law Journal, and I specifically asked them, how do you think that um, campaign contributions, because there's been a lot of news about certain candidates getting contributions from people who are associated with political parties, mm -hmm. how do you think that's affecting the race? And pretty much all of them say, it's concerning, we're supposed to be impartial and this makes it look like we're not, but they all were very committed to remaining impartial and making decisions based on their judicial philosophy, which, like you said, if somebody's not aware of how a judge uh, makes their decisions, it's what they do could really come at a surprise. So it is super important to do your research. And I know at the Law Journal, I've been trying to put together like quick lists of here's where you can find more information about this person. Here's their campaign. Like, here's a bit about their background. Here's their campaign website. So if you're like, mm, I, I just don't know, I need more information. It's really easy to find it because sometimes for the races, especially in the less populous counties, I feel like they don't get very much attention and it can be really difficult to find information. So we're trying to compile that and I would encourage everyone to at least do a Google search before uh, filling out their ballot because you can learn quite a bit. Right. And in the less populous counties, it's arguably more important because there might only be one judge in the county. Mm -hmm. So it's really important in those cases that you know who you're giving power. Right, right. 
definition of the day. One thing that you touched on earlier pretty briefly was the fact that you can request records. And there's a couple different ways to go about it. One of those ways is an open records request. Can you tell us a little bit about what an open records request is? Sure. So an open records request is when a person, um, it can be any member of the public, requests a government record. Um, it can be something like a meeting agenda. I've requested a record for, I know there's an initiative to build the statue of Valar Phillips. And when I was sitting in on the meeting, they were talking about, oh, in this document, you can see like, here's what it's going to look like. Here's where it's going to be. And I was like, oh, that would be great to know. So I requested that document. You can do it for that. Um, you can request data about um, demographics of a government entity, you can request a government officials emails, um, pretty much anything that has to do with uh, government activity, you can make a request for that. And part of that too is police reports. I know pretty much every day here, when we deal with municipal cases, we have to submit a records request rather than in criminal state cases, they provide you with the police reports. So I think not that I'm saying that everyone should go out and request every record <laughs> on people that they know, but it's definitely a useful tool that you can get um, information. Let's say that you are the victim of a crime. You can ask for that police report so you can stay up to date on what's happening. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Michaela, for sitting down and talking with us. It's been fantastic to get to know more about the databases and how the public can really avail themselves to this information. Thanks for having us. And I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in keeping up with the legal field to follow me or the Wisconsin Law Journal. Um, I'm on Twitter at WLJ Reporter. And then the Law Journal is on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And then our website, I'll say quickly, is wislawjournal.com. And right now we are having a subscription special where you can get a $99 subscription for our entire online database and then also our 12 issues of the print magazine. And you'll just have to use code GRGB for that. That's excellent. I highly recommend that people do this. As Michaela pointed out, there's a lot of resources. You can go on there and quickly learn about judges in your area. You can learn about recent issues that have come up. And I you know, I'm a big supporter of WLJ and I'm really glad that you guys were able to take the time and sit down with us. Yeah, me too. Let's get to know GRGB staff member, Britt Frank. Britt has been involved in the legal community for over 15 years, from the Milwaukee Bar Association, where she served as the coordinator for the Lawyer Referral and Information Service, office manager and director of the LRIS to the Waukesha County LRIS to staff administrator for the Milwaukee Bar Association's Messenger Magazine and many more. Britt knows the Wisconsin legal community well. I absolutely adore Britt. She is not only amazing at her job but is always willing to help anyone in any capacity. Even when she's eight months pregnant we will have to actively stop her from moving heavy furniture for a fellow employee. She is awesome and I'm happy to have her here today. Britt, besides being a marketing extraordinaire, 
a little known fact about you is that you used to be involved in beauty pageants. <laughs> Ooh, we're going right for it. We're going right for it. When were you involved in the pageant? <laughs> Great question. Um, I was not a pageant lifer. So I started, uh, when I was graduating from high school, someone had approached me and said, because uh, it's like a lot of people, I had concerns about how I was going to pay for college and things like that. Right. And um, someone had seen me do a dance performance. I went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts. Um, and then I was also figure skating. And someone had asked, you know, did you ever consider trying to do a beauty pageant? And right. I really hadn't. Uh, it it kind of seemed like one of those things to me that, you know, maybe you see a movie about or um, watch on TV once a year. And I said no, but there turned out there was a local one coming up. And I said, well, you know, you can make a lot of money for college. Let's give it a shot. Might as well. Might as well. Um, so I put together a little dance routine. I got my makeup out and I competed and I did terribly. Um, I, I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know how to answer the questions. I, I clammed up. Um, it was not great. However, someone was nice enough to recognize something and said, you know, we have this pageant coach, we're, we're going to help you out. Yeah. Um, and I understand the more that I say, <laughs> the more fun this sounds. No, no, um, no. But, you know, pageant coaches are actually a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, Miss Congeniality. Yes, yes, exactly. I, I had one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still have to watch that movie every time it comes on, by the way. Of course. Uh, so I got this pageant coach and she trained me and got me the right stuff and got me the right routines and, and taught me how to speak, um, you know, appropriately answer questions and, and just be in front of an audience. And, you know, even though, and then I went on to do pageants for, for several years. Um, I, I did all the locals and I have to say, um, I think pageants kind of get a bad rap. I ended up meeting my best friend through pageants and a lot of other great friends. Um, I did make a lot of money for college um, because I was perpetually a runner-up, uh, which turned out to be kind of a good thing because then I could keep competing because, right. you know, usually once you win one, then you're kind of out for the season and I could just do the whole circuit because I would usually do, you know, anywhere between five and eight of them a year. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of weekends. Um, yeah. But it was fun, and I just really learned how to um, kind of compose myself. And especially, you know, it, it came in very handy for interviewing later on because then when I would go in for a one-on-one -on -one interview, it was a breeze because I was used to being in front of a panel of eight to ten judges throwing questions at me yeah. uh, and very hard-hitting ones um, because, you know, they want to know your take on politics and things going on in the world and everything like that. Right, and it actually leads into what I was going to ask next. What's one thing from pageants that you've applied almost every day or that you use in your work here? I, I feel like I use a lot of it. I mean, you know, through marketing takes on a lot of different um, 
kind of faces and you know there there's the things online and there's um the things in print and you know podcasts and things like that which are all great uh, but then there's in person things and there's you know over the phone and interviews and speaking uh, and it's all important and you have to kind of do it all um and i just i was not a great public speaker before pageants and i feel like those really helped me just be comfortable um and i i apply that all the all the time i also think i learned how to be a little bit more tactful uh which i was not always known to be um but you kind of have to be (laughs) when you're uh you know answering questions in front of a a large audience um and so you know I, i try to apply that as well and then you know just the camaraderie um i think competitiveness is always good in a healthy way and i feel like all of those skills apply so you know pageant girl for life i guess i was gonna say i would have never known that you weren't necessarily a great public speaker i think that you are one of the most composed speakers that i know and i think you do a great job of taking questions on the fly and answering them in a manner that is not only informative but also has a a calming presence. You've got this aura that just is very calm. Well, thank you. And I mean, it was helpful too, because after pageants I went on, I did, you know, a lot of radio commercials. I went on and did uh, broadcast journalism through undergrad um, and, you know, did some reporting and things like that. And I mean, it just kind of all snowballed and worked together. Uh, And it was all a great help. And then I decided, well, I want to try nonprofits and maybe go to law school. which I just ended up going to grad school instead. And then I worked in the legal community um, for a nonprofit for 15 years. And it was great. And I met so many people. And then, you know, that's how it got me here. You just never know how things are going to work out. But pageants might have been the reason that I ended up here today. Who knows? They definitely could have been. Mm -hmm. Last question I have for you is you've got the most adorable two-year-old at home. <laughs> Do you think pageants are in the future? Oh, <laughs> that's really funny because I was just talking about that it. with my husband last night because um, uh, my two-year-old, <laughs> yes, she is adorable. Uh, she's a lot of other things as well. Um, it, but it, she is, she's already a really composed speaker um, yeah. and a really advanced speaker. And I made a comment to my husband about how I think that she would do really well um, because she loves to be in front of an audience. She loves she to talk. Loves yes, yes. Uh, I got to work on him a little bit. I think he was a little skeptical. <laughs> I think he still, you know, doesn't really know what that all entails. Um, but who knows? I mean, especially again, anything you can do to raise money for college is definitely helpful. Definitely helpful. Well, thanks for taking a couple of minutes to sit down, Britt. You yeah, thank are you. One of the best in the biz, and we're so lucky <laughs> to have you. Thank you very much. everyone for joining us for the first ever bonus episode of Zealous. This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgvlaw.com. Tune in next week for our regularly scheduled programming, where we talk with attorney Richard Riley. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.